This is Conversations with Corliss, the leadership podcast that gives you real and authentic advice that can help you change your life for the better. Here we will listen to stories and have conversations with people who are just like you, people who are chasing their dreams and making them happen. Your host Corliss is a modern day purpose-driven leader. As an entrepreneur, she has developed a multi-million dollar business, leading thousands of people to discover their potential and reach their personal goals, all while balancing the responsibilities of raising her three children. She is a powerful, inspirational speaker, a certified success principles coach, and the founder and CEO of Corliss Co. Consulting Incorporated. Hi everyone, this is Conversations with Corliss, a real leadership podcast. Here we will talk about all the things it takes to bravely lead the life you deserve. Welcome to the conversation. You may have guessed it, my name is Corliss and I'm so glad you are here. I love hanging out with people who are motivated to be more and do more. It's exciting to be surrounded by positive people who want to grow and live to their full potential. I know that's you or you wouldn't have landed here. My goal in bringing you this podcast is to help you take control of your life, to rise up and be all you can be. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Today's episode is being brought to you by Prairie Laser Ink and Toner, located in the beautiful community of Stonebridge in Saskatoon. Ink and Toner is an everyday essential for both business and home use. Prairie Laser Ink and Toner carries the largest number of brand name and compatible ink toner products in Saskatchewan. They can supply all your printing products with next day delivery to your business or home office during COVID. As a business owner myself, I always appreciate such personable service, especially when it saves me time. Prairie Laser Ink and Toner Supply is a family-owned and operated Saskatoon business. They put customer service first, guarantee quality products, and will match any competitor's price in Saskatchewan. Support local and contact them today at 306-668-0070 or visit their website at prairielaser.com for a free quote or to place your order. This is episode 019, Stepping into a New Norm, How to Do This Well for Us and Our Kids with Dr. Jody Carrington. Brene Brown said, we are hardwired to connect with others. It is what gives purpose and meaning to our lives and without it, there is suffering. Because we have all just been through the unprecedented experience of the pandemic and isolation, understanding how to stay connected is more relevant than ever. We are wired to connect. We need it to handle difficult things. In this conversation, we talk about how to stay connected and why. We explore how balance is a myth and gratitude is the heart of joy. I was introduced to our guests through social media when quarantine started. She showed up daily saying, not today, Corona. Every single day, she made us laugh as she shared insights on all of the tough stuff we were trying to figure out. She is one of a kind and I am super excited to have the chance to share this interview with you. Over the past 15 years, Dr. Jody Carrington has assessed, treated, educated, and empowered some of the most vulnerable and precious souls on the planet. She is a child psychologist by trade, but Jody rarely treats kids. The answer lies, she believes, in the people who hold them. Especially when kids have experienced trauma, that's when they need big people the most. 
Some of her favorites include educators, parents, first responders, and foster parents. Jody has shifted the way they think and feel about the holy work that they do. Before Jody started her own practice and speaking across the country, she worked at the Alberta Children's Hospital on the inpatient and day treatment units where she held families with some of the most difficult stories. They taught her the most important lesson. We are wired to do hard things. We can handle those hard things so much easier when we remember this. We are wired for connection. This all started when Jody received her Bachelor of Arts with distinction from the University of Alberta. She completed a year-long internship with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police during that time and worked alongside families struggling with chronic illness at the Ronald McDonald House. She received her master's degree in psychology at the University of Regina and completed her PhD there as well before completing her residency in Nova Scotia. Every once in a while, you meet a person who just gets it, and Dr. Jody Carrington is one of those people. So welcome to the show, Jody. I'm really excited to have you here with us. I have so enjoyed following you, and I love your very real and raw and authentic approach to things. So thanks for taking the time to be here with us today. I'd really like to kind of start with, you know, learning a little bit more about you and what your story is. Yeah, I'd love it, Corliss. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am a Saskatchewan, um, well, I was a transplant there. I did my master's and my PhD in Regina, University of Regina. And uh, oh my gosh, I'm a Riders fan. You cannot take the rider out of the girl. If you live in Regina, you know, you know what happens. <laughs> so, uh, but I grew up in Alberta in a, uh, in a farming community in Alberta and, um, I, uh, K to 12 school and, uh, I, you know, eventually I, I turned out to be a child psychologist and I still to this day have no idea how I'm a child psychologist cause I don't even like kids. I, um, I much prefer the people who hold them and, uh, I own three kids of, uh, my own. So I'm kind of coming around, but, uh, when I, when I, in Alberta, uh, or when I grew up in this small town in Viking, um, it's home of the seven Sutter brothers, um, six of whom make the NHL. And uh, so hockey's always been a huge part of my life. And um, I drank excessively with the Sutters uh, in the Kinsella gravel pits, which is how in a uh, small town, you figure out who you are and you try to get a boyfriend and then um, you try to hide from the Royal Canadian Man of Police. Well, um, that whole process takes place. And um, so I, I feel very grateful to my rural roots because uh, I learned a lot from, mostly from educators in that process. Um, and I think what I learned really early is that um, it's never what people say to you, it's always how, how they make you feel. And I knew really early that I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, you know, in grade 10, I remember saying that to my dad, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he was so excited about it because he thought I was going to spend most of the rest of my career in the Kinsella gravel pit. So he said he'd, he'd uh, pay for it and he didn't realize it was going to take me 13 years to get a PhD. But uh, here we are. And uh, <laughs> all I really wanted to do, you know, I really wanted to be a more motivational sports psychologist. And then uh, I ended up doing an externship uh, with the RCMP. And uh, I spent two years as a civilian member uh, with the RCMP and I learned so much about trauma and relationships and what a shitty job we do of looking after our first responders. And so um, I pursued a career in police psychology and uh, that's where, how I ended up in Regina for so long. I spent a lot of time in depot 
And then um, I did my residency in Nova Scotia and uh, did a rotation with kids. And um, they said, uh, you should really spend more time with kids because you're kind of like them. And uh, they were right. So uh, I did a bit of a postdoc out there and came back to the Alberta Children's Hospital where I worked for 10 years uh, on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. And uh, it was just the beautiful stories of many really, you know, families who suffered a lot, who taught me a lot about relationship and connection and trauma. And then I came to, we had three kids in, uh, here's the problem. I met a farmer and uh, I got married because he was very nice. And then he said, we should get children. And so we got one. And then I felt super incompetent uh, because I realized I didn't have a freaking clue what I was doing. And then he said, we should get more kids. And he was right because we're getting old. And then we got twins when I was 38, which does nothing for your five foot three Ukrainian chassis. I'm just saying. So then uh, we moved, uh, he, I was having a psychotic break. So he said, I know what'll help you because a farmer, he's a farmer and he likes to fix his wife. He says, let's move closer to my mother. Well, that so should then, fix it. <laughs> Jesus, Mary. So then we ended up in old Alberta, Canada, which is where we live right now, raising our three little tiny humans next to his mother-in-law. And I started a private practice uh, and uh, I started to consult with uh, school divisions around the province, around the toughest babies, because uh, those are my favorites. And then I wrote a book about it called Kids These Days that has just taken off. And now uh, I speak around, uh, well, uh, around the globe, uh, talking about relationship and connection. And and then I found you because Saskatchewan is my love and I didn't even know you existed until today. And now we're like best friends. I know. And I've loved talking with you. So when I said I love your real and authentic approach, everything about you is so easy to be around, Jody. Thank you. And I love your story. So let's take us back to March because March, you know, we all know what happened in March. So take us back there. Our world changed. What was your experience and what did you notice was kind of common for most people? Well, it's so interesting, right? Because most of what I talk about a lot comes down to emotional regulation. So as a psychologist, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to talk about how to be happy and, you know, how do we navigate through anxiety and depression and all of those things. And, you know, even before the COVID-19 uh, took us uh, globally by storm, um, I, you know, I've talked about this for a really long time. The heart of any relationship comes down to emotional regulation, which means how not to lose your friggin' mind. And if you own a kid or teach a kid, um, your biggest job is to impart the wisdom of emotional regulation. Because when you're born, you have zero. In fact, you have three skills. You have fight, flight, and freeze. And so when you bring a baby home from the hospital, their only job to let us know what they need is to cry. They get emotionally dysregulated. And the job of big people is to regulate them. We do this a lot. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Shh, 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 shh. Yeah, we're wired for connection. If we disconnect from an infant, they will die. And so we are so biologically wired to walk people through emotional co-regulation. It's our job as humans. And I often think about this quote from Ram Dass, who is a philosopher who's dead. And anybody who knows anything about relationships is dead because we're only getting worse at them. We're not getting better. And he said this, we are all just here walking each other home. And that quote hangs above my uh, shoulder in my office because I, I refer to it every single day. We're all just here walking each other home. And our biggest job is to co-regulate each other through hard things. And emotional regulation is at its worst when there's no predictability, when there's no structure, and when there's fear. And what this global pandemic brought to the world is unpredictability, 
no structure and fear. And we are all in a state of emotional dysregulation. And the only way we get through hard things is to co-regulate together to walk each other home. So I've talked a lot uh, over the last couple of months about the importance of connection, uh, staying connected, even when, you know, physically we um, need to be doing uh, less and less of that. How do we walk each other home um, when we're dysregulated? So um, I think I think that's been the biggest lesson uh, for me is that it slowed down me for sure. We were talking about this just before we we got on air um, about you know how um, there are so many opportunities in this time of just slowing down that I'm so grateful for. Many of which involve spending much more time with my children and my husband and you know the people who matter the most to me. Um, and also navigating ways to how do we stay connected? You know, how do we stay connected when we can't be physically in the spaces of, of many of the people we love? So how have you done that? So because well, I've watched you and of course, everything has just exploded. You've been so present and very supportive of people and been online. And yet it sounds like you've had a healthy balance with making sure that you're there for your children and your husband and connecting that way as well. So how do you kind of create that balance? Well, I love that word because balance is bullshit, I think, because um, it is like, it, it's such a myth that we will ever be in balance with anything. Like we are either like out of control, losing our goddamn minds, or we are crushing it. And that's the balance. And I think 99% of the time, I feel like, you know, I'm, everything's on fire and we're just trying to hold things down. Um, and, and this is what I loved about the, the, the COVID. I think I said, I don't know if I told you this, but I like our twins are now seven and our oldest will be 10 in August. And I don't think that I ever unpacked a suitcase since the kids, since the twins were three, because there was constantly this desire to, to connect and to, to bring messages of, you know, the things that I'm so passionate about and, you know, the book and the, you know, all these things. And it often comes at an expense because you spend time away from the people you love. And I didn't, I mean, I, I would stand on stages all over the place talking about the importance of face-to-face -face connection, of slowing things down. Um, and in an effort to, you know, do the things I loved, right? I think that really, I didn't realize how incredibly important it was to uh, stay connected to uh, the people I love the most. And I think there's a couple of things that, that have come out of this for me. The most important part of this is, I think, just really taking some time to name it to just how incredibly insane uh, we are uh, on our, uh, how hard we are on ourselves, how much we have expectations as parents and as teachers and as police officers and as educators uh, to serve our families, to serve our communities and to try to get it all right, to get it all done. And what's been so amazing to me, uh, I think, or one of the biggest gifts is just the necessity of the universe to be able to say, slow down. Right, because I wouldn't have. If the government of the world said, okay, you should stay home, you should not get on a plane, I'd be like, okay, thanks, that's for everybody else. But when they said you can't, it was necessary for me to say, okay, wow, right? And it was remarkable to me that even somebody had to say you can't before I would stop or slow down. Hmm? And I assumed very uh, interestingly, I mean, I, from a psychological perspective, if you said I needed to be doing therapy online or I could be doing talks online, I'd be like, not a chance. Because you cannot replace face-to-face -face connection with other human beings. I mean, it is what we need. And the biggest change between even two generations ago and now is physical proximity. 
that is what we're facing is disconnect, not guns or gluten or Grand Theft Auto Five. Those things aren't the problem. The biggest problem is disconnect. And I'll tell you why that's important. Think about two generations ago, the square footage of the house in which your grandfather was raised in and the square footage of their house in which you raise your babies. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot. And there was so much more opportunity for face-to-face -face connection back then, which afforded emotional regulation. And now, because we are so crazy busy, we live in bigger homes, we have so much more exit ramps, our phones, our iPads, the Netflix, that we spend less and less time waving at our neighbors, making eye contact with our children. I mean, if I asked you to sit down and look face-to-face -face with somebody who you've procreated with, it would be the most uncomfortable thing on the planet. And whether you're married or not, I mean, if you're, you're dating somebody or you, you know, you're, you've been married to somebody for 30 years, if I said tonight, I want you to go, just go home and, and just, I mean, just, you don't even have to say anything. Just look at that person for a couple minutes. Just, just look at them in the eye. Right? So many people are like, oh my God, <laughs> that's a two minute. You want me to do that for two? Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, therein lies the problem because we're wired for connection. If we light up around the people we love the most or we've spent the most time with in our lives, right? You married to somebody for a long time. If you were to say to somebody, look at them and light up and light up is uh, the airport reunion or when a child comes into you with their arms wide open, what you do in response to that is the light up. It's the, I don't know if you can see my face, but it's the, you know, that's the light up. If you were today to go and be face to face with your children or a partner and light up, if you know, if I were to come out of my office, my husband and I now work in the same office. So if I was to come around the corner and be like, Hey, honey, I don't know if I tell you this enough, but you matter to me. His first response is generally this. What'd you buy? <laughs> right? The people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. The people we love the most are suspicious when we're kind. Because typically we get into this back and forth diatribe with the people we love um, in an effort to sort of get the best from them and the best from us, right? As we try to balance it and it becomes really difficult to do that. We're much easier. We're much better with other people's children. We're much better with people who we don't have too much skin in the game with. Yeah. But the more we get invested in somebody, the more we, we need them to be okay for us to be okay. And when they're not okay, we put up walls. And so, I mean, this is a long circle back now, but the, the thing that the, 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 the corona has reminded me of is it is just the importance of we don't need a lot of input uh, from people in this universe, but we need to be connected to the people who we are most uh, involved in the stories of walking each other home with. You understand? Do you just mm -hmm. I think so. I think I do understand. So it's kind of made you make that connection with your own family instead of you were out there just speaking and talking to everybody else about it and kind of miss the connection there yourself. And then when they said you couldn't, you were forced to really rethink it. Is that kind of a summary? Yes. Beautiful. Okay. So, and I love what you said about balance being bullshit. I actually th feel like you've just given us permission to like, not feel like we have to have it all together all the time. Thank you for that. I know a couple years ago, or I don't even know how many years ago I went to Michelle Obama when she was in Saskatoon. And I remember the interviewer asking her how she, you know, did it, how she had balance. Cause she said, you know, you had this career, you're all of a sudden the first lady, all these things happen. How do you create balance? And she started laughing and said, are you kidding me? No one has balance these days unless they have a team. 
you just don't. So talk to me about that. How do you, how do you balance it? Or no, balance is bullshit. Wrong word. <laughs> how do you do it? How have you been able to manage it all and stay connected? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think, I think that I don't. And so, um, I think that so much of it is, I would agree with, uh, the, the amazing, uh, our Lord and savior, Michelle Obama, uh, because I think you, you don't do it without a village and it's an African proverb that, um, is older than any of us. And it is so true now more than ever. Uh, it takes a village. And I rely so incredibly on my team. I, I rely so incredibly on my mom, my mother-in-law. Um, I am really lucky to be married to uh, a fairly stable human being. Um, many days I want to throw a punch him. Many days I uh, think about, you know, how the fuck do we ever, ever get matched up? Because we cannot be more different, two of us. And um, I am just so grateful, I think, to just being aware of how I cannot ever, ever do this alone. How I'm going to mess it up more often than I'm not going to do that. Right. And, um, I think in this process, uh, I often say this, you know, gratitude, uh, is the way home in so many ways. And I think that gratitude gets a really bad rap because it sounds like it's super late. Oh, I'm so thankful for shit. Here's the issue. Joy is a choice and how we get to joy for me, the, the sort of fast track to joy is always through gratitude. And we are not, particularly if we've been raised in rural Alberta, rural Saskatchewan, we are not good at optimism. We are not good at joy. We are very good at finding all the shit that can go wrong, right? Like if you've been raised by a farmer, you rarely heard this. You rarely heard somebody say, oh, you know what? It's going to be a good year. I feel like cattle prices are going to be right where we need them to be. Do you know what I mean? I mean, this, the weather, the almanac looks delightful. Do you know what, Ethel? I feel like, you know what I think we should do? I think we should buy the dually. I feel like we should book the trip to Florida this year because I just feel like everything is going to just be. No! I grew up every second with like, I mean, it's raining and I'm like, perfect. It's going to be perfect because we got everything is seated. It's going to be beautiful. And everybody being like, holy shit, it is too wet. And then the next week, it's beautiful. There's a bunch of sunshine and you're like, perfect. And people are like, oh my God, the drought, <laughs> right? There's never, ever like, okay, right? And we've always been in this place, right? Don't get too cocky, right? Be humble. Just wait for it because somebody going to die right? Just when things are going good, it's going to be bad. And I think we've really lived with that sense because, um, again, we, previous generations, you know, many generations ago, we had to be in this place of, you have to be ready for the worst, right? Because uh, you have to prepare for the onslaught of, you know, people attacking or going to war or whatever those things are. And it's really done us a disservice because we're now in a generation where we have a hard time seeking the things that are good, a hard time sitting with the joy and being able to just let ourselves go. And, and, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about this. The most vulnerable emotion on the planet is joy. It's not sadness or fear or rage or shame. It is in fact joy. You are at your best, at your most vulnerable when you're experiencing joy. 
Beautiful. And you know, you just described my upbringing. I'm from the farm. My parents are still on the farm. My brother's a farmer. I'm one of eight children. And that is always, I know my mom's amazing. My parents are amazing, right? But it's so true because it's like, even if it's the ultimate crop, well, now the prices are going to go down. It's just the way it was. It's like, let's not go there to feel joy. Hey, everyone. Are you missing motivation? Do you have a project you know you should do, but you can't seem to get inspired to do it? Are you missing that something that gives you energy to get up and add it in the morning? Or have you found yourself in a new space and are trying to figure out how to restart? Over the past 26 years as an entrepreneur, I have learned a powerful system that works for me to find my self-motivation to set and achieve my goals, and I want to share it with you. My new course is called Seven Steps to Self-Motivation and Success, and it's being offered right now for a massive discount. Go check it out at www.corliss.ca backslash shop backslash seven steps. That's the number seven. Here it is again, www.corliss.ca backslash s-h-o-p backslash seven S-T-E-P-S. You'll be so glad you did. So often you talk about that we're wired for this. So you've talked a lot about that through Corona. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Like share what exactly that means that we're wired for this. Yeah, I, I think that's um, such a good question. So Glennon Doyle talks about this, you know, lots of, lots of people who, uh, you know, have come in, or in this space say this. Um, but, but here's what I know, like, is that I would, um, you know, I've sat with humble mamas and I've sat with people who are stage four, going to leave two babies behind, you know, people who lost their marriage after 30 years. Um, and just in this, you know, really dark place. And I would say the same thing to them as I would say, you know, to, to your audience today is that whatever you have on your plate right now, you're wired for it. And how I, you know, people often then say to me, well, you have no idea what I've been through. And this, this is very true, very, very true. And um, I think that that's our biggest mistake, right? As we try to fix it, like, okay, you're going to be fine, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant, or at least, you know, you you had a marriage or like whatever. Uh, I'm talking about something very different. I'm, I, I'm saying, you know, that there's been many, many people who come before us who've done hard things. And the question really is, how did they survive it, right? If we, Nelson Mandela was in isolation for 27 years. And this fella comes, you know, comes out and does some fairly remarkable things. Uh, Victor Frankl uh, survives Auschwitz, watches his children die, watches his spouse be killed, uh, you know, watches his parents die. And he goes on to write one of the greatest literary works of all time, I think, called Man's Search for Meaning. And in it, you know, he says these things, I had to believe there was a purpose to the pain. I had to stay connected. Nelson Mandela wrote uh, to his children every day. He parented from jail. Um, he was very connected to his wife who, you know, one of his, his darkest times he would identify is when she also was imprisoned. And, uh, you know, he couldn't keep that connection. And, and I think that um, the only way we survive hard things is to remember that we have to stay connected. And if we are not, um, you know, part of the most primitive responses to hard things is to disconnect, right? You think about this, if somebody's going to kick you in the teeth, uh, generally, you're not going to stay connected to that person. You're going to armor up. You're going to block it. You're going to pivot. Uh, but one of the biggest tricks is if we're going to figure out why we're getting kicked or why things went south is how do we lean into those hard things? How do we stay connected? Um, and I think the connection part is, is what takes practice because we're not good at it. Mm, okay, so now everything's shifted, things are starting to reopen. 
we need to stay connected. What would you give like as recommendations to people on how to stay connected? Um, I think the, the biggest issue, I mean, and this is just very a, a very practical thing that I often say is I really want you to pay close attention to how much time you're spending in eye contact with the people in your community, in your house, and not, not looking, but seeing. And if we just think about this, I mean, we weren't good at this before the Corona. I mean, you drive through the uh, drive through at Tim Hortons or Starbucks. We do a lot of like, thank you very much. Have a good day. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Yep. yep, 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 yep. Watch what happens when you slow down, say their names and thank them for serving you. Right. Jesse, thank you so much for this coffee today. Right. Number one, mm -hmm. I mean, anybody in the service profession needs to be identified. Right. So you can say their name and the, your name is the only thing uh, is the first word that any of us learned. So it pulls in, it regulates you immediately when somebody says your name. Hmm? And so when I say, Jesse, thank you so much for this coffee today, man, I need it. I'm so glad you're here. A couple of things will happen. First of all, they're going to think you're picking them up because I get that all the time. They're like, whoa, lady. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? When you still got it, you got it. But anyway. <laughs> um, the other thing is that um, they often are surprised, right? They're like, hey, do you know me? And um, because we do it so, so rarely, right? Oftentimes in our own homes, right? We walk through the door at the end of the day and we're looking for all the things that are, hey, whose boots are these? Who let the dog in here? Jeez, okay, hey. And we look all the time, but we don't see, right? It is that concept of eye contact. I really want you to pay attention, you know, even in the next week as you drive through your community, wave at people. And we're better at this in rural Saskatchewan than we are in anywhere else. But I mean, really watch what happens when you wave at people, when you stop at the traffic light, um, you know, when you engage with each other. Because when we're scared, or if you've ever known anybody who suffers from anxiety or depression, their, their eyes will be down. If you look at even particular cultures who come from multiple generations of abuse, neglect, and trauma, uh, they struggle with eye contact because the, the eyes are the window to the soul. And if we really want to re-engage in a way that's going to help us stay regulated and um, we're going to sort of be able to advert some of the mental health fallout that will be inevitable in this process, it will be how do we, every single one of us, show up better to serve our communities. Wow. You've said a lot there. Like there's just so much in that. And it reminds me of going out to visit my parents on the farm. And I never grew up out there because my parents moved. But as I go down the grid road heading to my parents, it never fails that when I pass a vehicle, no matter who it is, they always wave at me. And I'm always like, that's so nice. The community of the farm, right? It's so, it's so wonderful. So with the eye contact, that's something that we can all do and it's very practical and I really like that point. So thanks for that and that's going to help us. That's going to help us move forward with just something that we can all do and really become aware of, right? So as the world reopens and we try to find this new norm that everybody keeps talking about and they're all referencing, what recommendations would you want to give people as they move forward? Um, I think so much of this is really, you know, in this process of paying, giving some attention to feeling it, right? Just to really sit with this for a second and realize just what we've accomplished. I mean, so many of us have just, you know, come out of homeschooling uh, or, you know, crisis schooling our children. Uh, we've had to pivot significantly in our businesses. There's financial concerns. We've, you know, missed out on funerals and weddings and births uh, of children uh, that we dreamed about and thought about in, you know, many different ways for a very long time. We've had to put some relationships on hold. And I think what's important before we try to fix it or move on is to really feel it. And, you know, so sometimes when we do that and drop our shoulders, it'll leak out our eyes. But uh, Dan Siegel is a psychiatrist who says this all the time. You have to name it to tame it. If you don't, our indigenous communities are so much better at this than we are. If you don't acknowledge it, it will take you over. 
And, you know, they've for a long time requested uh, the necessity of a land acknowledgement, which really in and of its purpose is to just identify the feeling, the pain, the hurt, to name it, and then you tame it. Yeah, it takes it over it takes over you. Uh, you know, it's like grief and love. If you lean into those hard things, if you try to pretend they're not there, they'll kick you in the ass. And this, this is very true about what we've just been through. It's, it's unprecedented. And, uh, and because of that, um, it will, it will require some, some focus and some energy if we hope that it doesn't, um, you know, if the ramifications aren't going to be significant. Mm-hmm. And for each person, that's going to be different, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about fear then, because generally the unknown creates uncertainty and discomfort, and that can breed fear. So what would you say to the person who's really afraid of what post-COVID is going to look like? Mm, Such a good question. I think that, um, number one, you got to give yourself some grace because there should be some fear. This again, I mean, we we don't even know. I mean, so much of this, the government doesn't know what's going to happen, right? There's now the second wave. I mean, when when we're having this conversation, the second wave and in some of the uh, southern states is becoming, you know, significantly concerning. And um, we don't know what schools are going to look like. You know, August first, we make that decision up here in Canada, in many of our provinces. And um, you, you know, I think that um, so much of it is just to be able to remember to to drop your shoulders. And to take those breaths that is going to allow your body to to handle this and again we're wired for it as long as we remain connected not only to the people in our community but to ourselves and the body keeps the score i mean i i've done a lot of work in the world of trauma and um it's not about sort of logistically what happens it's how your body uh manages it and um you know i when i work with first responders i never want to know the logistics um of a situation or a call the details are not uh, the healing is not in the details it is in how the body responds to it and so if we can be very conscious about how our thoughts affect the way we show up in the world, you know, our shoulders will be up, our heart rate will be decreased. When that happens, we lose access uh, to our prefrontal cortex or our ability to regulate emotion. So really just taking some time to make sure that we look after ourselves. Uh, because if we're not okay, the kids we love or the people we serve don't stand a chance. Mm, so true. And is there like some sort of morning ritual? Is there something that you do? Like what does Dr. Jody Carrington do to make sure and take care of herself to keep herself in that state? Um, if I were to say one thing, um, I try to, to remember the importance of moving my body because if I don't do some sort of yoga workout stretch. I mean, and honest to God, this is like a very, let me be very clear. Like I put on a sports bra that's considered a workout. Um, but I think it's really important to, to think about that. And the other thing, if, if there was one magic pill for me, it's gratitude. Um, three, uh, things every day. And really kind of get really present to that. Like you've already talked about is just to really feel that gratitude, right? Yeah. And I think we, we think the gratitude practice has to take a really long time and it doesn't right? Like it's like mm-hmm. if you're driving, um, you know, just every time you stop at a stoplight, if you, if you have a journal or a book to be able to just write it in every single day, um, then it really just causes, it, you know, allows for some pause. Um, and that's usually the biggest thing that we're missing is we just don't slow down. You know, I looked in the mirror the other day, putting on my mascara, and I was so grateful for the fact that I have eyelashes again. <laughs> ah, right, there it is. <laughs> and uh, you know, instead, it's funny how it shifted things because instead of looking at myself thinking I don't look good because my eyelashes, it actually shifted it to 
wow, like I'm feeling like I look good, right? So I got grateful for something as simple as that. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. So talk about kids these days. You've written this book and this book has gone crazy. I can't wait to get it. I need to get it. It's on my list of I need to. So give us the gist of kids these days. Uh, so Kids These Days was written um, basically, you know, after I started speaking on different stages um, about uh, relationship and trauma connection uh, in the classroom. And so it was written a lot for parents and teachers. And um, it's really just morphed into this resource that many people have come back to around uh, grief and trauma and relationship and connection with kids. And if you own a kid or teach a kid or love a kid, uh, uh, minor hockey coaches, um, you know, anybody in our communities, I think um, so many people have told me that it's been um, just what they needed. And so we've sold over 100,000 copies and it's just been out in the world for a year. We didn't have a publisher when we started with, uh, when we started it, I just launched it out of our garage, much to my husband's delight. And uh, now we have a publisher and um, yeah, it's, it's great. And I'm writing the second book right now with uh, an educator um, also from Alberta called Teachers These Days. And so we're going to take some of it, uh, the, the theory around kids these days and just make it a little bit more applicable to the classroom. So I'm super excited about that. And then I do a lot with first responders. And so I just launched a course uh, in the middle of the COVID for first responders and their families called Hello Hero. And uh, it's just a resource for people who are, uh, you know, own a first responder. So I, um, I'm super proud of that too. So there's, there's lots going on. No kidding. Will this book, um, I know one of the things my son is 12 turning 13. I'd really love to help him be a confident young human being. I grow into a confident young man. Is there some help in there for that? Yes. Yes, mama. Yes, okay. you will love it. And I'm really funny. And you know what else is you can get it on Audible. And so you could get it today and get it on Audible and I read it to you. Oh, cool. Okay. So let's do that, everyone. I'm going to do that today, actually. And yeah, you are really funny. And I, <laughs> I, I love the way you make us laugh. I've wanted to laugh a few times, although there's so much value in everything that you're saying. So I'm trying to stay present to all of that. Um, any final, I guess, advice? I've got three things that I'm going to ask you, three closing questions I ask all of my guests. But is there anything that you wanted to add, like any real strong message that you feel like people need to get on, on this particular topic? Yeah, no, I think just wherever you're at right now, you got to trust it, right? You got to lean into it and figure out um, why, because you're wired for it. Excellent. Now, if uh, you've got, if you could put into one sentence, what does leadership mean to you? Leadership to me means uh, somebody who has the capacity to hold space for emotion before they give direction. Hmm. Would you explain that? Yeah. So you uh, often spend a lot of time in the, in the role of a leader as fixing things and directing. And I think the best leaders on the planet do far less of that and far more attending to fears and feelings and seemingly inconsequential things. Then and only then will they have productive uh, people who follow them. Hmm. Amazing. Okay. Thanks for that explanation. Um, now with your books and podcasts and everything that's out there in the world right now, I know that you've done much to educate yourself. I'd love it if you would recommend one book and one podcast that were like a real game changer for you that really impacted your life that people must check out. Okay. So, uh, from a psychological perspective, I think Darren Greatly, Brene Brown is my Lord and Savior. I love that woman and I will, we will be on the same stage before I die. Um, she uh, has written Darren Greatly and um, particularly in the world of, of leadership, if you haven't read Dare to Lead, um, it is uh, just really profoundly 
profoundly written. Uh, I love that. And so, and then in terms of a podcast, it's really crazy because I've been listening to a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, podcasts lately. I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, well, I mean, Unlocking Us is what Brene just launched. Um, I think that's the one I listen to all the time. From a business perspective, I listen to Gary, Gary V shit all the time. Um, I love that. Dak Shepard has a beautiful one. Um, and I, I, I actually, you know, I, I love a lot of audible books because I don't, I don't have a lot of time to read. And when I read, I fall asleep. So often when I'm driving and I do it, you know, before the COVID, I did a lot of it. So I, I audible is my best friend. And I, you know, I read at least a couple of books a month and I feel like, all the greats have said that's that's the key and I really believe it right because we get so locked into our own little place of believing and it becomes just so lovely there's 21 things you wish you knew about the Indian Act is uh, uh, what I have in my audible right now and uh, it's, it's blowing my doors off like I thought I was so smart in the world of racism and culture and I have not a friggin' clue. I'm, I'm way more racist than I would have ever anticipated and I'm just learning so much in this space. So I'm so grateful for those opportunities because I think we just have access. You have no, there is no excuse to be ignorant right now. Yeah, all the resources are out there in the world, right? You just gotta be motivated to go and figure it out and listen to it and watch it and read it and good, good stuff out there. Now, before I ask you the final, final question, where do people find you and connect with you? Um, I'm at um, www.drjodycarrington.com is our website. So everything that we do is there. We have a shop associated with that. We have some kick-ass swag that I'm so proud of. And um, uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I do Facebook Lives every Sunday night and every Wednesday morning. We did them every single morning during uh, the COVID, but we're going to switch to that uh, just Wednesday mornings at 8.15 Mountain and then Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Mountain. Awesome. Okay, good. Uh, based on all the highs and the lows, this is a final question. So you've experienced a lot in your life. What one piece of advice would you want to leave people with? Um, I would say that that's a hard one. Jesus. Um, the, the one piece of advice I would say is um, certainly just trust uh, that you are exactly where you need to be. So how you lean into your own self that it, I, I think it comes with age um, and experience um, and perception is a function of experience. So give yourself some grace. You'll get there. Fantastic. Thank you again for being here. It has been absolutely wonderful. I can't wait to share this conversation with everyone. Thank you, Corliss. Take good care. You too. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, make sure and share it with a friend or screenshot it and post it to your Instagram story or Facebook, tagging me at Corliss Co. I know the most precious of all commodities is your time, and I want to thank you all very much for spending this time with me today. Remember, you have the power to lead. Know your worth, embrace your value, see you have purpose, and be the leader you are meant to be.